So, Christ is on the throne. That's good. Gonna hand out a few of these. This is the funnel diagram. I might pick on people today. No, try to be nice. Randomly pass those out. However, however it seems fit. I'll put these over here in case anybody comes in halfway through. Stephanie. And yeah, this one goes. All right, so Christ is on the throne, which is a good thing, because if he wasn't on the throne, we might as well not even talk, right? Because all that we're talking about today has to do with ministry process. And this is where true leadership is developed. This process is the way that we see multiplication really happen. And if we don't do this process, we end up repeating what has got us to where we're at in the first place. The reality that disciples have not been made of all nations, that people still don't know about Christ. The reality that their entire people groups, like 1.2 billion Muslims, right, that know very little about Jesus and have never been exposed to who he is. If we're actually going to fulfill the Great Commission, what Christ called us to in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we're going to have to do multiplication. Coincidentally, multiplication is a vital part of any type of leadership. So I thought as we talked two weeks ago about leadership principles, and then last week about your number one leadership priority, it naturally fit to discuss multiplication today and how that really happens. Because in this process, leaders are actually made. You'll see that as we talk through the process, this is where leaders are developed and made. And when we talk about ministry, I want you guys to know this. This is kind of a secret. Everything we do in this ministry is not to get a bigger meeting. That is not our priority. It's not our goal. It is not our desire. It looks nice. It's exciting when 100 people show up. That doesn't matter. That's not why we do what we do. The reason we do what we do is to build world-changing leaders. Does that make sense? And you'll see that coming through in what we call the funnel diagram. So follow with me. I have another acronym if you want it. Maybe I'll share that. Erin told me don't share any more acronyms. So because she's like, oh, this is Nate's acronym. And this one too. And this 20 second acronym. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like acronyms. Seriously, I memorized the periodic table of the elements like 20 years ago, probably. And I pretty much still have it in my head. <laughs> it's a real long act. It's like a whole paragraph. <laughs> it's, like a it's the cheesiest song I've ever... <laughs> There's no way you'll get me to sing it. <laughs> you could not pay me enough money. You sang Pretty Woman. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. But there was a motivator there. My sweet wife was there. So if we get your sweet wife to ask you to sing it? Maybe. <laughs> I'd think about it. I would think about it. Okay, here's the funnel. You guys have it all pictured there on your notes. So take a lot of notes because this is good stuff. I've had many pastors tell me this is the best ministry process diagram they've ever seen. Okay, we can only go through it so much today. This is going to be a very brief description of it. If you want better notes, I'm going to be speaking from these notes that we put together many years ago. You can get those at that first link there, all right? And you can get an entire semester 
going through this at eternityimpact.blogspot.com, which is our blog, and just click the Ministry Leadership Training Class tab. It'll go through an entire semester on what we're going to talk about today, going point by point through the funnel and talking about every aspect of it. So, for example, we'll get to this more, the top of the funnel is meet people. We'll have an entire week on how do you meet people. It'll go through points on how to, do, how to meet new people in any kind of situation, right? And so we'll get into it more. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But that second link at eternityimpact.blogspot.com will have a lot more info on the entire funnel diagram week after week after week. And it's good stuff. If you were to go through that entire semester online, something like 12 weeks, it would be phenomenal training for the rest of your life in ministry. You would know ministry process better than a lot of pastors. And I'm not saying that in a weird kind of proud type of way. I'm just saying the modern church model is built around events and numbers rather than multiplication and making disciples. So if you want to have strong training and multiplication and making disciples, go to eternityimpact.blogspot.com, click the Ministry Leadership Training Class tab, and start going through some of those. We have the video for every week, we have the audio for every week, and we have the notes for every week up online. So it'll be good stuff. All right. Now, the funnel diagram, like I said a minute ago, is the best way of accomplishing the vision while developing and multiplying leaders. It is the best way. Because you guys, and the same goes for all of, all of us, me too, we would never become leaders unless we had opportunities to develop as leaders. Does that make sense? Most people are never going to get asked in their church, especially if they go to a bigger church, will you please preach Sunday morning? Okay, will you please, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank, whatever you want. Now, if you've had those opportunities to take those steps before you graduate, you will be uniquely prepared to lead in ways that many people never get. All right, this diagram is going to go through how to do that. And I hope for each of you that when you leave this school, you are going to be leaders and world changers that will continue multiplying until Christ comes back. So at the top of the funnel is meet people. Okay, if you want to write down an acronym, I know Brandon likes acronyms. Okay, this is kind of fun. You could put find new friends, right, for F, for funnel. Okay, we'll do, uh, okay, I'll put this in, but if you don't like acronyms, you don't have to, obviously. So meet new people. How big is your ministry going to grow if you never meet new people? Not very big. How much of an impact are you going to make if you just work with the fishbowl that is in your hands today? Not a big impact, right? If you just work with the few numbers of people that you already know, you're going to have an impact, but not that big of an impact, right? If you want to be making disciples of all nations like Christ commanded us to do, We've got to start meeting some new people. So if, assuming that the basics are covered, you know, sometimes we say, what's the number one thing you want to do when you start a ministry? And people go, pray, okay? Well, that's true. Connect with God, fellowship with God, pray, get a team. Okay, assuming those things are done, what's the first action that you want to take in starting a new ministry? You want to meet new people, right? That's why at the beginning of the semester, we did over 400 surveys, 
was it just because we really like surveys, <laughs> okay? It was neat seeing the statistics. It was cool seeing that Jesus' favorability rating is 7.6 out of 10. That's pretty exciting, a higher favorability than Obama or any sports team or musician or corporation that I could imagine, right? Students naturally like Jesus. That was fun to find out that statistic about this year's freshmen. But that's not why we did the surveys. I mean, it's partly why we did them. But the main reason is it's a great way to meet a lot of people. Is it the only way to meet people? Not at all. Why are we doing this Seeker Connect tomorrow? What do you think? Meet new people. It is the only reason we're doing it. We want to meet new people because we know that if we're going to make a difference for Christ, it starts with meeting new people. Now, is it easy to make new, meet new people or not? Sometimes. Sometimes. But it takes a little bit of initiative, right? One of those leadership characteristics. It takes a little bit of a friendly attitude, a good attitude, right? Some more leadership characteristics. Meeting people is developing you as a leader because you're becoming outward-focused rather than inward-focused. An inward-focused person is not going to be a leader. An outward-focused person will be. And an an outward-focused person likes people. Isn't that interesting? You might be an introvert. I'm not saying you have to be an extrovert to be a leader. That's not what I'm saying. You might be an introvert, which means that you get energized by alone time. Or you might be an extrovert, meaning you get energized by time with people. No matter where you're at, or even if you're in the middle, a leader has to get to a point where they're willing to meet new people. Otherwise, they're ending their influence, and a leader does not want to end their influence. So as leaders, we want to meet new people. That's the first part of the funnel diagram. After we meet those people, we say we want to share the what? Good news. Good news, the gospel. Yeah. Share the good news. I love saying the good news. In fact, every morning I have a statement that I write in my journal every single morning because I don't want to forget it. I want to be consciously writing it down every single morning. And I include in there. I'm going to take risks for you today sharing the good news because I want to be reminding myself it's good news. (laughs) What we get to share with people is good news. It's not okay news. It's not decent news. It's really good news. They have hope that they never imagined they could have, right? They can have a peace they never thought was possible. They can be loved in a way they never imagined could be possible. It's good news. Now, can you share the gospel with somebody that you've not met? In the media age, it's a little weird because you could share your testimony online or something. What's that? Meeting entails? Hello. (laughs) Right, just connecting. I'm not saying you have to become good friends up here because you might not. Should you try? Yeah, you should try to befriend this person. Is that a prerequisite to sharing the good news? Not at all, right? If the bank was giving out million-dollar bills, okay, and you're coming up to campus to tell people that they can go get a million dollars at the bank, would you think to yourself, there's no way I can tell people that they can get a million dollars until I befriend them? (laughs) Would you ever think that thought? I mean, not in a million years, because the news would be so good, you couldn't help but share that with people. And if I believe that about Jesus and all he offers, it'll be the same thing. At the same time, I should do everything I can to build friendships. Just think of the mathematics, guys. How many people go to Fort Lewis? About 4,000. How long would it take us to befriend 4,000 people? Like four or five 
<laughs> four or five weeks if we were really getting to meet people. That'd be awesome. I hope we could do that. Go. <laughs> yeah. The reality is if I had to befriend everybody before I could share with them, it's never going to happen. And as far as fulfilling Christ's command to make disciples of all nations, it would never happen. In fact, look at Scripture. I don't think I know of a single story in Scripture where they befriended somebody before sharing with them. I could be wrong on that. Maybe Zacchaeus is the the closest to that example that I can imagine. But even Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't befriend him first. He says, hey, I'm coming to your house tonight, right? And I... (laughs) So it was kind of a friendly gesture, but it was pretty, pretty instant. Does that make sense? But in Scripture, time after time after time after time, I meet you, I share with you, I meet you, I share with you. And that's not being awkward. It's just doing what Christians do naturally. Remember what Scripture says, guys, out of the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I love my Savior, that's going to come out. I would never have to befriend somebody before telling them that I'm married to Aaron, Right? What would happen if you and I, John, were friends for six months, and then after six months I said, we're close enough friends now that I could tell you that I have a wife. <laughs> I think, how weird are you? <laughs> I trust you now enough, now I can tell you I'm married. And then I wait another three months, and now we're even closer so I can tell you about my daughters. Right? <laughs> like, this guy is messed up. See, if I love Jesus, I don't have to wait. I can share that with anyone. At the same time, I should also try to befriend them and show them the love that God shows me, right? So it's not an either-or, but a both-and. I should both share and befriend. But sharing can happen in a second. I'm not kidding you guys, and I'm taking a little bit of time to stress this because I want to make sure we get this point. I've shared with people, like, I write, here's an example. When we leave a tip, I leave a tip, and every single time I, I sign the receipt, I put Jesus loves you, and then I put the server's name because it's usually on the receipt. And I've had servers catch me later on and say, you, won't, you can't imagine what that meant to me or how much God used that in my life, right? Little things like that. You might not know. I gave a lady a ride down the hill once. Aaron and I did, maybe our first year on campus. Years later, a guy that we were sharing with, sharing the gospel with, he tells me, you guys shared Christ with my ex-girlfriend. She was crying in your car and you prayed for her. I can't even remember this story vaguely. It's just like this vague hint of a memory. He goes, it totally impacted her in huge ways and then impacted him as a result. Those quick conversations, they might not be the full gospel. They might just be a little bit. But you guys, they're going to be significant. And I'd rather err on the side of sharing than err on the side of not sharing, you know? Uh, Like last week, talking with this guy at our table was awkward, right? But I I was thinking to myself, I'd rather make a mistake and share and have it be a little awkward than never get to meet this guy again and never get to share with him, right? And uh, But anyway, so we meet people first, then we share the good news with them. If you like acronyms, the U could be unveil the gospel. Uh, it's pretty simple. So share the good news with them. What are the responses we get, Brandon? Um, not interested. Okay, not interested. They, you want to keep going? Yeah. They could be a believer already. Okay. Already. Really? You guys can put these down. 
down. It's numbered there on your notes. They could be hungry. They could be hungry, yeah. Interested, I guess. Hungry, interested. Or they could pray right there. They could pray. They could, I'm going to put receive Christ. Yeah. Slash trust. So any four of those. Now, as we go down the funnel, and this is something you should notice, up here you have large numbers. You have low, what do you think? Low commitment, right? What do you think would happen if tomorrow night at Connect, I said, it's so good seeing all of you new people. You better be at my Bible study this week. I'm expecting a lot of commitment up here in the funnel, which is not an okay time to be expecting a lot of commitment, right? I need to meet them where they're at. So up high, there's large numbers, low commitment. As we go down, I just want you to catch this as we're talking. How does that switch? Low numbers, high commitment. Low numbers, high commitment. If you're seeking to make multiplying disciples that will multiply until Christ returns, remember, 32 years, if even two of us started this year, we could reach the entire world. If that's our goal, what do we want? A lot of people in a meeting or a few high-commitment disciples? What do you guys think? The latter. Yeah, we want a few people that are willing to do anything for Christ. Put it online, go anywhere, do anything for him. Right, so our goal as a ministry is where our goal isn't low numbers. We don't sit around and think, how can we offend people? <laughs> okay, but our goal is high commitment. And typically, that doesn't happen on a mass produced assembly line type of format, right? That happens with one on one investment. And I hope we can reach the entire campus for Christ. And I'm going to do everything we can to meet everybody and share with everybody and reach everybody. But don't be surprised if the numbers decrease over time. And you can usually see that through a semester. We might have our first Connect have over 100 people and our last one 30 or 40. That's not a bad thing. That just means that those 30 or 40 are probably ready to change the world. Does that make sense? They are becoming progressively involved. And those 30 or 40 maybe are sharing their faith and leading Bible studies and discipling other people. That's okay. If we have 100 at the end of the year, that's also okay, right? Because 100 people can be growing and, and multiplying as well. But don't be surprised if the numbers go lower as the commitment increases. right? Uh, but shoot for more too. So what do we do with people that are not interested here? Do we badger them more with the gospel? I wouldn't say don't share the gospel more with them, right? Be sensitive. Try to keep sharing. We have an entire week on that semester-long training on the funnel diagram on how to deal with people up here, right? Uh, on how to follow up, I should say, with people that are hungry but not yet believers. Um, if they're not interested, this is what we say. Just keep them in the funnel. That's fine, right? If somebody comes tomorrow night and they have no interest in getting plugged in, they, have, they don't look like they're ready to put their trust in Christ, well, John, you can invite him rock climbing next week? Yeah. Why not, right? <laughs> well... Maybe if it's somebody that you invite tomorrow night, if you know this person, or if you meet them tomorrow night and get to know them. 
probably if you don't meet them, you won't invite them. <laughs> but whoever does meet them could invite them to something. You could invite them to the retreat. You could invite them to the next Seeker Connect that we do. You could invite them to my house for Thursday night dinner, like Jesse last year. You kept inviting him to things, right? Uh, and that's fine. Just let them go at their level. We don't have to get them somewhere. I don't have to force them to put their trust in Christ. That's between them and God. I'm going to keep loving them. I'm going to keep building a friendship with them. I'm going to keep encouraging them. And I'm going to keep sharing with them as opportunities develop, right? Okay, what about the rest of these? Anybody know? What do you think? Follow up. Follow up. Alex has it. Yeah, follow up. Or if you like the... Uh, acronym variety of this, you can put next step, right? Because follow-up discipleship, it's all about helping them take their next step, right? Now, for somebody that is hungry and interested but not yet a believer, that follow-up is going to look like clarifying the gospel. I'm going to put that right up here. Okay, it's going to look like clarifying the gospel. There's a whole week of training on that online, on how to continue clarifying the gospel with somebody that you've shared with already and they didn't trust Christ. Now what? Because we've all had those situations. So what's the next step that you can take with that kind of person to keep exposing them to the gospel in unique and different ways? Let's say you share the KGP with someone, right? The gospel, the Knowing God Personally booklet. And they don't trust Christ, and you see them next week. Are you going to pull out the KGP again and say, hey, I want to go through this booklet with you again? And then the next week, they're going to think, this guy's weird, right? Well, there might be situations where that's okay. I had a student once that for eight weeks wanted to go through questions he had about the KGP. So each week, he'd bring it up. Let's go. I have a question about that statement right there. Let's talk about it. Okay, in that situation, it's okay. But in most situations you're going to need a new way of sharing with that person. So get online and check that out if that's where you're at in a certain relationship with someone. So for the people that are hungry and interested, we want to keep following up by clarifying the gospel, right? For the people that are already Christians or receive Christ, and you guys, it's not very often that somebody puts their trust in Christ the instant you share with them. I have seen it happen. There was a lady at my work once I've shared with you guys about her before, I think. Very first time we talked about Christ in tears, crying her eyes out like you've never seen someone cry. She put her trust in Christ. Brought her boyfriend to church right after that, introduced him to me. First thing he tells me is, if you don't tell me how to have Christ in my life, I'll kill myself. Okay? He put his trust in Christ that day. Those two people put their trust in Christ almost instantly after hearing the gospel. They are maybe the receive Christ as soon as you share with them. It does happen. It's not the most frequent thing. That's okay. Usually God needs time to work in somebody's heart, right? And we don't need to rush God or them. That's fine. I just take the opportunity, I share, and trust the results to God, like we always say. If they do trust Christ, or if they are already a believer, what do we do? We keep following up with them, too. We start doing basic discipleship. Okay, now what's happening in each of these situations as far as leadership is concerned? You guys catch this? 
right here, leadership is required, right? You need to take the initiative to talk to somebody, but it's kind of minimal leadership. Right here, you're actually sharing the gospel with somebody. That takes a little more risk, right? Another quality of leaders is taking risks. That takes a little more initiative. It takes a little more being faithful. That takes a little more outward focus than this. So this person is growing more as a leader. Do you see that? What about follow-up? They say only 2% of Christians ever share their faith. Is that not crazy? Next week, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts here, and it'll be a really good week, so don't miss it. It's part of leadership. It's not everything, but you're uniquely designed by God as a leader, and he's given you qualities that he hasn't given everybody else. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that and how to use those as a leader for his glory. You know how many people think they have the gift of evangelism? Okay, before I, before I share this, check this out. If you were God, let's just pretend, Megan, that you're God for the day. I'm really glad you're not, and I'm really glad I'm not. <laughs> so let's just pretend. And there was one way for people to hear how they could have a relationship with you. For people to come into an eternity of salvation. To cross, as the Bible says, from death to life. And you're deciding how you're going to administer these 12 or 13 or 14 different gifts among the body to be used to win the world to Christ. What percentage of the people would you give that gift to, do you think? Everyone. Everyone? A large percentage, right? You probably wouldn't go soft on that. You'd lay it on thick, you know? We might have a couple, you know, 10% teachers, but I'm going to make 50% evangelists. I'm really going to pour it on in that realm. We're all called to share our faith, even if we're not gifted that way. And we'll get more on that next week about giftings versus calling and things like that. But you know how many people think they have the gift of evangelism? Just guess. One percent. Got it, Nikki. Right on the money. Now, this came out last year in a Barna study. He said one percent of Christians think they have the gift of evangelism. Probably because they've never shared their faith, so they don't even have a way to know whether they have the gift of evangelism or not. They've never seen it happen. It's all theoretical. So only two percent of Christians statistically have ever shared their faith. So all of you guys in here are already in a very small group of Christians, Okay. The number, I don't know a stat on this, but the number that have done discipleship is far lower. I mean, just from experience, I would imagine it might be one in a thousand Christians knows how to do discipleship. Does that sound maybe right to you, Stephanie? Yeah, I would think so. I, I mean, think most people that go through discipleship. They actually know that they can do it. They know they're called to do it. They're taking the initiative to do it. They're setting up, a, they're doing it. I mean, it might be one in a thousand, so point. It's very low. Anyway, so that's where this person is developing some intense leadership skills. They're going where maybe one in a thousand people go as far as discipleship, right? Okay, basic discipleship. Out of that one-on-one involvement, and this is what Jesus did. This is scriptural. This is, look at 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul outlines the entire process of multiplication and discipleship. In 2 Timothy 2.2, he talks about four generations of discipleship in in that one verse. It's very key. Okay, from that basic discipleship point, 
What do we want to do? Do we want to just let people flounder one-on-one -on -one forever? No. No, John, I like your answer. <laughs> I like your thinking. What do you guys think? What's the next step? Let's say you're meeting with somebody, Amanda. It's this precious young girl that you meet, let's say, tomorrow night. You share the gospel. Let's say she puts her trust in Christ. And now you really want her to grow strong. You want her to grow strong. You want her to be the best she can be for God. So you start meeting with her and you start discipling her. Already you as a leader are growing through the roof because you're taking big risks. You're putting a lot on the line. When you start these one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationships, you're risking a lot. You could look like a fool. They could end up hating you. Who knows what might happen, right? But you're, you might not know the answers. You might look foolish. You're taking some big risks, okay? But what, what did Jesus do with the men that he discipled? Do you remember? He sent them out. That's part of it. But first of all, they were a group, right? He had a small group of 12 men in himself. That was a small group right here. I'm going to put SG for a small group. This is a Bible study. A lot of Bible studies are starting this week. <laughs> okay? When you lead a Bible study, you are taking an enormous leap in your leadership development. You're putting yourself on the line more than ever. You're learning organizational skills that you don't need to know when you're just sharing your faith or just meeting people or just doing discipleship. That's kind of one-on-one. -on -one. You can pass with a with a bumping with bumping into someone, with calling them, a lot will do. But when you're leading a Bible study, you actually have to organize, you have to schedule, you have to prepare. Does that make sense? You have to actually know your stuff a little bit. All these leadership characteristics are going through the roof as you take the initiative to lead a Bible study. Now, as a ministry, when we encourage you guys to lead a Bible study, it's because we know that in your development as leaders, you're not going to ever become a multiplying leader, one of these high-commitment multiplying leaders, until you've done all this stuff and seen it happen. But when you've done it all, and it doesn't end at this small group, it's going to get better. When you've done it, you really will be a strong leader that's able to see multiplication happen in their personal ministry. And that's pretty hard to find. It's pretty unique. Okay, so here's a small group. Jesus had a small group, right? And at times, it was extremely basic, right? At times, it was very basic. <laughs> Remember some of the questions that his disciples would ask him? Some of the answers that he'd give? He'd be telling them very simple parables, and they couldn't figure out what he was saying. And Jesus is, well, I don't know if he's pulling his hair out, but maybe he was thinking, why can't you get it? But he was God, so he probably had a lot more mercy than I would have. But that's what we would call a Jesus group, maybe. Jesus group or an intro group, you could call it something like that. And this is where you're allowing this group to really get to know who Jesus is in a group setting. We have Jesus Bible studies that make this really happen well. You could invite a non-Christian that you're doing follow-up with to a Jesus discussion group or a Jesus group. You could invite another, any Christian to it. Any of us in this room would do great in a Jesus discussion group. If I ever get to the point where I think that a Jesus group is too <laughs> inferior for me to go to, I am headed for trouble. We actually had somebody once tell us, I'm not coming to connect anymore because you guys talk about Jesus too often, and I'm more mature than that in my faith. <laughs> and we said, okay, <laughs> that's fine. You can make your own decision. But we should never get past Jesus, guys. If, if you ever feel like you're past Jesus, you need some introspection because he should never get old. He should never get boring. Paul told the Corinthians there's no other foundation other than Jesus Christ. 
you know, and he said he was committed to that among them. All right. So Jesus discussion groups are key. You might invite somebody to a, dis, a, a Jesus discussion group, and they're going to tell you, that's below me. I wouldn't fight too hard to get that person in your Jesus discussion group if that's their perspective. God's going to work in their heart. Let God work in their heart. You don't have to force them into that. Does that make sense? Okay. Next, after the Jesus discussion group, ooh, next N, if you want an acronym, they don't have to have one. It could just be small groups. Uh, we put network of Bible studies. Okay? And that's a network because it doesn't, it doesn't just end with a Jesus discussion group. We have growth groups. Okay? Those growth groups are places where people get more of the fundamentals of their walk with God. Does that make sense? They're looking for more of the fundamentals. Now, in these growth groups, what should you do? Should you continue doing the discipleship process? Did Jesus do that with his small group? He continued, right? So keep doing the discipleship process. As you consider how much to keep investing in people, we have a faith acronym. I'm going to do it in red. More acronyms. This is, this is one you, you want to memorize. If you can memorize anything, this will save you lots of pain if you get this down, okay? As you continue this process of learning to be a stronger leader, of leading Bible studies, of doing discipleship, of sharing your faith, when you think about the people that you're investing in, how many of you in here could disciple 400 people? No, not going to happen. How many people did Jesus choose to disciple? So what a jerk. Can you believe what a jerk Jesus was for rejecting those thousands of people that were following him? No, we're being sarcastic. But seriously, the God of the universe in human flesh realized he only had a limited number of hours in a day to invest in other people, which means he had to say no to some people. It's not because he was a jerk. It's not because he didn't love them. All of us are going to have to decide who should I invest my life in and who shouldn't I invest my life in. And it's a hard decision. But you know what? God's going to give you lots of wisdom as you make that decision, right? Now, if you want to look for the right kind of person to invest your life in, we say look for a faith Christian. If you go back to 2 Timothy 2.2, the verse that we shared over here, it talks about faithful men. And Paul is telling Timothy, invest in faithful men that will be able to teach others also. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. Does that make sense? So who is one of those faithful people that you can invest in? These five characteristics will tell you what they are. So I'm just taking a little bit of a detour from the small groups because it's at this point in the process where this becomes important. Who do I keep investing in? Out of my small group? Maybe they can't make my small group, but who should I keep investing my life in? Well, or investing the most of my time in, okay? I'm not saying you can't have coffee with somebody else. You can't encourage somebody else. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying who should be your priority investment of time. And in our ministry, this is even another side note, if, if somebody is meeting with somebody and, and like say I'm not, like out of a new freshman, let's say I'm not meeting with one of them and Brandon is, I trust the Holy Spirit in Brandon to do just as good a job as the Holy Spirit in me, right? Because <laughs> he's the same Holy Spirit. Here's my sweet wife over there. Sweet. So, that being said, 
we can't meet with everyone, right? So sometimes as a team, we're going to divide up. You focus on that person. I'm going to focus on this person. As a team, we're going to do it. And maybe they're all faith Christians that we're working with, hopefully. Okay, F stands for faithful. Oh, I should ask. Yes, I should ask. Okay, how do you know if somebody's faithful? What's that? Yeah, they have faith. They follow through. I mean, these are key things. What if you're scheduling an appointment with somebody and they never show up? Well, I've had to tell people before, and in my mind, I have about a three, I, this is me, you might be different, but for me, it's kind of like a three strikes your out time type of thing, not because I don't like them, and in the future, if they change, I'm ready to, to recommit, but if somebody blows me off like three times in a row, I'm going to assume at least at this point, they're not faithful, and they probably aren't worth a whole lot of my investment. They are worth that personally. Their value is huge, but I can't waste time. Right? And I've had to cut people off that I loved a lot that, that um, blew me off, you know? And I think that uh, you guys will hit that situation. So faithful, are they going to be there when they say they are? Are they going to follow through? I think that's a big thing. A is available. You might have students that are like the greatest leader you've ever seen, and you can't wait to invest your life in them. But they're taking 24 credits, have three jobs, and are also on the cycling team and the snowboard team, okay? They're probably not going to be very available. Hopefully, they will grow to be the greatest world changer in history. But the reality is you're probably not going to get to invest very much in them because they're just not available. I, we have two words. This, this acronym we came up with, and every letter was identical except for I with Steve Shadrach and the Fuel and the Flame. Isn't that interesting? Uh, for the same purpose, who you should invest in in discipleship. It's pretty cool. So we had initiative, I mean, we had interactive, but we had thought about switching that to initiative. Interactive means they're talkative, they're communicative. If somebody never talks to you, it's going to be hard to invest in them, right? Steve Shadrach writes initiative, which is huge. Remember, that's one of those leadership initiative. That's right. <laughs> I'm getting confused up here. Can't even write. Initiative. All right. If, they, if somebody doesn't have initiative, it's going to be hard to see them becoming a multiplier. In other words, if they're never taking a step, then it's really hard to help them take the next step. Does that make sense? Right. Initiative involves taking the next step. So you, as you're discipling, you're encouraging them to take the next step. And if they'll never take the next step, they might not be the right person to keep working with. Um, at least at that time. Maybe in the future they will. T is teachable. What if somebody just wants to argue with you? Probably not a wise investment of your time and energy, right? But if they're teachable, you have something to work with. H is the most important, guys. This is the most important. If this isn't there, do not waste your time. If this is there, there's always hope, even if the other four are not looking too great. And that's a heart for God. have a heart for God, they're really going to grow, right, guys, because they're surrendered to him, and they're really going to be worth investing in. Don't look for 100% any of these, because nobody in this room, including me, is at 100% in those areas, right? That's a general set of criteria to be looking for in people that you're investing a lot of time and energy in, but it's not ever going to be perfect, and you're going to have to make a judgment call 
with God helping you make that judgment call about should I keep investing in this person or not? Because I only have so many hours in the day. Okay, now hopefully your Bible study, your growth group, is full of a whole lot of people that are faith Christians. They desire to be growing. They're taking steps of faith. They have a heart for God. And you are discipling everybody in your small group. That's the way it would work in a perfect world. Sometimes, because of schedules, etc., maybe they're in Brandon's Bible study and you're discipling them. But hopefully you're discipling the people in your small group. And that small group, as it grows, it develops into something very special. Anybody know what that is? Action group. Action group. AG. Action group. Now, for sure in your action group, you don't want non-faith Christians in your action group. The people in an action group have to be people that, are, that have shown some leadership potential, and they are taking steps of faith. If they are not, you're going to hurt them by putting them in an action group. Because everybody in the action group is going to be striving forward, and they're going to be feeling what if they're not doing that? Guilty. They're going to be feeling like, I'm the one that's screwing everybody else out. Kara's waving at me. Hi, sweet Kara. <laughs> so anyway, for their own good, you don't want to put them in the action group until they're ready and demonstrating some of that faith stuff. right? Now, you as a leader, you've grown a lot by this point. You can do evangelism. You can meet new people. You can do follow-up with a non-Christian that's interested. You can do discipleship with a baby Christian. You can lead a small group on on kind of basic material. You can read, lead a growth group on kind of more advanced issues, and that growth group might not just be one semester. There could be three growth groups that you lead, right? A lot of you are leading growth groups that might be starting this week. Dakota, yours starts in two days, right? Yep. Brandon started last week, so a lot of you guys are starting to lead growth groups, okay? That's phenomenal. You're developing as a leader. You're starting to be that authority in the field, able to help others grow as well. Okay, now in the action group sense, you're taking a step that nobody but pastors will ever take pretty much, or maybe missionaries. And hopefully, you'll get a chance to take this step while you're here at college. An action group is leading a Bible study of Bible study leaders. You see that? On your sheet, you'll see some of those circles coming out of the circle. Now, each one of these people are people that by this point in the process, you've discipled for a while. Maybe from all the way back here. And now they, two years lead, later, are actually leading their own Bible study. Does that make sense? They've seen you lead one of these growth groups. They've seen you lead a Jesus group. They've seen you disciple guys in this group. They've seen you share your faith. They've seen you meet new people. They've seen you follow up with other people. They've seen you do a lot. It's all part of the discipleship process. Now guess what? You're helping them do that. A lot of you guys... I'm going to be doing this leadership Bible study every week. That is going to be an action group where you guys are leading your own Bible studies. Right? Okay. Now, eventually, those people that, are you, that you're helping lead action groups are going to do what? They're going to be leading action groups. Now, what's happening here? You see what's happening? If everybody keeps doing the process, we are getting exponential growth. We are getting tremendous growth. In the history of Christianity, who did this process? Jesus. Jesus. This is what he did. He, he showed us the example. And he commanded us to follow his example and make disciples. This is what he did. And his disciples, 12 average guys, 
turned the world upside down, the book of Acts tells us. That was their reputation, as a matter of fact, in society. It wasn't because they were so special. They were just committed to a multiplicational process, which is what we're talking about. Okay? <sighs> okay. We have to close in about a minute or two. So we're going we're gonna to wrap this up in just a second. E stands for extras in the funnel diagram. Any questions about this process? Does this make good sense as far as a process for multiplication? Doesn't it kind of really fit? And it, I guess intuitively, we know that this is a good process. Okay, so E in the funnel acronym, if you're following that path, is extras. If you don't like acronyms, it's just tools, okay? Now here are some tools. Tools would be connect, is connect our ministry. Why is connect not our ministry? Does anybody know? It's not our main purpose. What else? So a few of you know this because you've heard me say it, so don't be shy. I think Brandon, you'd know this, right? Um, yeah, just because it's kind of limited. It's one day a week. One day a week. <laughs> it's on a clock, guys. Okay? It ends. Does ministry ever end? No. Does your investment in somebody's life ever end? I mean, you'd hope not, right? Maybe it fluctuates in investment and in time and all that stuff. But a church service, I'm going to put a service here, because I'm not going to say church because that's the body of Christ, right, which is the ministry. It doesn't happen on a clock. But a church service is not ministry. It is a part of ministry. Connect is not ministry. It is a part of ministry. It's not everything. It starts and ends on a clock, and then it's over. If that's where we put all of our investment, ministry happens for an hour and a half a week. That's not ministry. But it sure helps ministry, right? It helps ministry a whole lot. You can't be discipling people that you never see. But when you see each other every week, and you grow together every week, and you learn together every week, there's a context for discipleship. And that's necessary for this whole process to work. Go to the training on the funnel diagram. We'll talk about the four contexts of discipleship. We'll talk about how to make discipleship work and a lot of different things like that. It's, it's fundamental. Okay, so a service. What about a retreat? Is that a tool? But it's not everything. Books? iTunes gift cards? All right. Um, MP3s? Websites? You guys could come up with a million other things. Those are not the ministry. They're tools that make the ministry work. Does that make sense? They're just tools. And we need to keep the main focus on people, not on events. We need to keep the main focus on people, not on retreats. <laughs> we need to keep the main focus on people, not on our itinerary. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. And as the modern church, we've gotten our focus on itineraries and schedules and events. And we've made those more important than people. And people notice, right? Don't people kind of notice when they're not your focus? They notice that, that our priorities are in the wrong place. And that brings us to our last part of the funnel diagram. And if you like, if you really love acronyms, the L is for love. 
<laughs> okay? And here's what we do. I was going to draw a heart, but it's, there's too much stuff here to draw a heart. Okay? So we're just going to draw a big cloud. Okay. And we'll make it red so it kind of looks like a heart. And I'll draw a few little hearts right here. There we go. Okay, sweet. Everybody thinks it's Valentine's Day already. No, the context for all this has to be love and acceptance. Right, guys? If people won't feel loved, forget the process. If people won't feel accepted where they're at for who they are, forget the process. Somebody needs to be able to come and say, I'm not interested. And you know what? I think Christians are stupid. And they need to see, John still loves me. <laughs> John still loves me. Imagine that. I told the guy to his face he was a jerk, and he still loved me. That's going to speak volumes more than an event will. Does that make sense? If the people come to this special Seeker Connect tomorrow and they don't feel loved, forget it. We're not going to make an impact on them. If you're setting up schedules with 10 guys a week, but they don't get the impression that you actually like them or love them, you're not going to get that far with them. I'm not saying that we put all of our time and energy into being friendly and fluffy, right? Because there is a time for growth and there is a time for investment. But they really need to get the impression and not just an impression, but because it's real, that we love them and accept them. Right where they're at, for who they are. And I want to get better at that, don't you guys? Don't we want to get better at loving? So that's the acronym for the funnel diagram, which is brand new. It's hot off the press. But if you don't like it, you could just say, meet people, share the good news, follow up, do the Bible study process, right? Use good tools and do it all in a context of love and acceptance. That's the funnel diagram. If we do this, if even a couple of us do this and do it well, we can reach this entire world in our lifetimes, guys. We really can. Let's pray and close it out. How about Alex Pena? Right. We close this out. Yeah. Um, God, I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, this time here today that just to learn how to better serve you, God, and just to glorify you, God. And, um, I pray that we can uh, just apply this in our lives and uh, just uh, reach the world for you, God. And uh, I pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we went five minutes late. What's that? Ready. Ooh. We need to find a time to meet. Yeah. Did you text me? What? I, don't know. I got like five texts back. I texted a few of you guys. I did not. Okay, cool. I didn't know if that was you. Oh, man. 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 Oh,